Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast, where we bring together the best medical minds, thought leaders, scientists, patients, and caregivers to inform and inspire the spondylitis community. I'm your host, Jill Miller, living my best spa life, knowing that how we meet today has the power to change everything going forward. Hi, and welcome to SpondyCast. Today, our guest is Iris Zink, who has been a rheumatology nurse practitioner for 23 years and was president of the Rheumatology Nurses Society. She has traveled extensively lecturing on a variety of topics pertaining to arthritis, women, autoimmune diseases, laughter for healing, and intimacy and chronic disease. She's published numerous times on topics about patient care and intimacy and co-published the chapter on HIV and arthritis in the Scope and Standards Rheumatology Nursing Text. She's an adjunct faculty at Michigan State University, a very passionate teacher, lecturer, and caregiver. In 2016, her husband opened the first nurse practitioner-run early arthritis clinic in Michigan to provide access to care for those individuals who are underserved or underinsured. To date, she has four rheumatology nurse practitioners, three nurses and six nursing students in practice and over 4,500 active patients. And I will also say that you are the author of Sex Interrupted. We'll get more into that. So <laughs> thank you very much for joining us today. I'm excited to have this conversation on intimacy and spondyloarthritis and the relationship topic. So uh, welcome. Thank you. So I will say, I want you to tell us your story of how you became so passionate about intimacy and relationships related to chronic disease, because your experience that I've read, uh, when you had your aha moment, I had a similar mm -hmm. one. So I want to hear yours first, and then I'll, we'll talk about the one I had. So the, the story in the book is that as I was working in my former practice, not the current Medicaid clinic, but I was working in my former practice and I saw a 54 year old teacher just for a recheck for ankylosing spondylitis, has your medications going, you know, a regular old recheck. And then of course, you know, i got three kids, got to go get a soccer practice, doing the whole thing. So I'm working my way out the door. I grab the door handle and she's like, I got one more question. And I said, okay. She said, I can't open my legs wide enough to have sex with my husband. And so then I sat down because I knew this is going to be a longer conversation. And it really, she was fused with her sacroiliac joints. So she really could not open her legs wide enough to have sex with her husband. So I kind of did the, you know, this, this silly dog look like I tilted my head and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I said, let me think about this. Is that okay? And she's like, oh yeah, sure. And because I didn't know the answer immediately, which I think a lot of healthcare providers then shy away from the conversation at all. But I just said, can I get back with you? And she said, yes. And so because I was on the lecture circuit at that point in time doing other things, I had a lecture in Lansing at a restaurant and a local DO, an osteopath from Michigan State University came to the lecture. And I said, hey, Adam, after the dinner program, can I ask you a few questions? One of my patients is having some sexual health issues. <laughs> Adam didn't know me from anybody. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I talked to the osteopathic doctor for a while after the, the lecture and I said, listen, she's 54. She wants to have intimacy with her husband. She, she, she literally cannot get her legs open wide enough to have intimacy with her husband. So can you help me? And he said, oh, sure, then no problem. He said, send her out to Michigan State. We'll see what kind of flexibility she has left. I have a physical therapist that I work with at Michigan State. We'll get her, you know, together with that person. And so I called Mary back and I said, listen, I met this guy. He's a DO at Michigan State. He's got a, you know, pelvic floor physical therapist that he works with. We're going to get you hooked up. Is this okay? And she said, yeah, that sounds great. So she came back and she said, as long as she was doing the home therapy exercises, she was fine. But I kept asking her every time, you know, how is it going? And if she fell off the wagon, things were not fine. But the aha moment it was when I thought to myself, if, if this person is having trouble, how many others are having trouble? So I called my local librarian, Judy, thank God for Judy. And I said, can you get me every article that's written about sex and arthritis? And so she said, sure. 
an hour later, she called me back and she said, Iris, there's like nothing. There's like six articles. She said, I know you're not going to be happy. So she said, I widened search. And so I just got every sexual health issue with a, you know, sexual health issue with a health related issue. So any chronic illness related to a sexual health issue. She said, that's 600 articles. And I said, okay. And she said, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, I'll take them. So I read every single thing I could get my hands on and actually made a trip up to Toronto, Canada to talk to an author of the book, an intimacy book, who was a pediatrician, amazing. And I went up and talked to her and I just collected as much information as I could. And I started asking more and more patients about their experience and whether they were having sexual health issues. And it just opened this giant floodgate. And so I thought I was going to be really smart and then I was going to start having lectures for patients about sexual health concerns and issues of intimacy. Well, then nobody showed up. Like I advertised, I got the local hospital to have me. Nobody showed up. And I'm like, okay, so these people don't want to talk about sexual health. But when I started talking to groups of nurses, it was just a hit because nurses were so scared about talking to patients about sexual health issues that it just sort of exploded. And then the whole focus changed. So if I could teach healthcare providers how to talk about intimacy with their patients, and it didn't matter, rheumatology, primary care, didn't matter, then we could get the mission started. I, I can only imagine. Uh, <laughs> And, and I will say when I read, or I, I was listening to some of your, uh, when you presented at the Spondyloarthritis Summit a couple years ago, um, and did a talk on this, I actually like had an, I had a visceral emotional reaction to mm -hmm. that story. Just as a woman and someone who believes that like intimacy is a really big, important piece of our lives. Mm -hmm. And when we... It, it reminded me recently when I was doing some research for this of, I was uh, part of a patient advisory group on mm -hmm. spondylitis. Um, and we were in this room and there were people from all over the globe and we had translators and everyone's having this conversation. We're doing this like whiteboard session. I'm like, what do you experience with spondylitis? And I was with a group of people and there were right men, men in business suits who and somebody finally raised their hand and said, well, yeah, like it, it, was, it was an open question, but it was, I don't have sex or I, you know, there, I have problems because of it. And it's hard enough without a chronic disease and with children and all these things. And one of the things you talk about a lot in the, in your work is starting in starting with communication and then as the patient maybe you're stuck a little bit we we might be in the middle between we have to facilitate the translation with our provider and mm -hmm. with the people in our lives so mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about communicating around this topic okay so the the, the bigger part of the story was after i helped mary i called the librarian and asked her what what publications existed on intimacy and chronic disease related to arthritis. And there were six articles back then. And but she had 600 articles on how chronic illness of any sort, like sleep apnea, blindness, mastectomy, post hysterectomy had impacted chronic, you know, sex, how sex had impacted chronic illness or vice versa. So I got all 600 articles, started doing all my research, had planned on doing lectures for patients about intimacy so that I could help patients navigate that journey. And the patients didn't show up for the lectures, but who was most interested in my lectures were nurses. So I turned out to start traveling around the United States and lecturing to groups of 250 nurses at a time about how important it is to talk about this subject. So there was this huge, you know, there was just nobody talking about sex. There was nobody knowing how to talk about sex. And after my lecture, nurses would always come up to me and say, if there was only a book, if there was a book about how to do this, I would talk to my patients, but I don't feel comfortable. And I'm like, you've got six kids. What do you think? What are you talking about? You don't feel comfortable because it's, you don't have to know the answers. It's about starting the conversation. So going back to your point of communication, that's the most important thing because being diagnosed with a chronic illness, 
is bad enough, like you said. And spondyloarthropathy is my favorite illness to treat by far, because like you said earlier, it takes nine years to get diagnosed. I mean, it's ridiculous. And women are crazy and women have fibromyalgia and it's all in your head and there's nothing wrong. So, you know, my, my favorite patients are the ex-drug addicts, you know, the ex-alcoholics because they were self-medicating, nobody was listening to them. They come to the clinic or they've been stuck in the pain clinic for years getting SI injections and cortisone injections or having back surgery that didn't work. So these are the patients that I am most passionate about because they're the ones who need the most support. And by the time they've gotten to the clinic, intimacy is gone. I mean, a lot of times they've already had a loss of a relationship because there was no communication. They hurt all the time. They can't sleep. You're getting out of bed every hour and a half to stretch. I mean, so, you know, there's just so much to go back and kind of rebuild. Yeah. And one thing that kept coming to my head, we can maybe punt this a little further down, but there are a couple themes around this of Sometimes when we get to a point where the intimacy is gone, like we don't we think something's wrong with our body or mm-hmm. we think our partner thinks something's wrong with our body. Uh, and I almost thought as I was listening to uh, an interview you did recently, and you do touch on this is there's shame around this topic. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like, right. There's there, I imagine there's a lot, there could be a lot of self-work as you're, whether it's right. Cognitive or there, there are a lot of, it's not just you, the intimacy has gone for a period of time and then you just turn it back on in a relationship. And how do you approach people around those things? And I know you talk a little bit about like, you can't be the, the guy that hasn't touched his wife in 10 years and then go home and go, okay, here we go. Yeah, here's here's my big erect penis. Let's put it in. That's no, not going to work. So, like, so what I are think- the issues to overcome and like addressing those and systematically to get back to where you want to be? I think it's, it's, it's all going to start with communication. So that's the biggest thing. I do like it when my, my, whoever I'm taking care of, whether male or female or female, female, whatever it is, they bring their partner to the the office visit. I like that because then when I breach the subject, then then everybody's hearing the subject, which is really good. On our new patient packet, we have a line that says, you know, are you having any issues with sexuality or is your sex like satisfactory? So, you know, that they know from the very first visit that I'm open to that, not to mention the fact that my book is standing on the front counter when you check in. So they know that I'm open to that idea of talking about sexuality. But I can imagine, you know, if you're a 24 year old girl, and you're going in to see a male rheumatologist, that is going to be super intimidating to bring that conversation up more or less, you know, how am I going to talk to my partner? Yeah, one of the really interesting things I think about is uh, what happens to us in our brains and our bodies when the intimacy is there. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about, the, I guess, the power of human physical connection and like the two, right? The organs. I think you talk about like the, the organs. The brain and the skin, exactly. Yeah, the brain so and the skin. Just the act of intimacy, whether you get to an orgasm or not, just the act of the kissing and the hugging and the touching, that alone raises your serotonin, it raises your oxytocin. So, you know, that's creating bonding. So that's the problem is if there is no physical touch between you and your partner, the bond is lost. You know, even in the animal community, you see this all the time. If the mom is paying too much attention to the baby and the dad's not getting any attention, he's going to eat the baby. So, you know, that that's the problem is that the... It, we crave that affection and that attention, whether it is it is intercourse or if it's hugging and touching. And then when there's concerns about performance and being able to do have whatever intimacy means to you and you're concerned about hurting your partner, you know, your partner's already exhausted and you don't want to ask for that, then it then the, the partner who has the chronic illness is going to feel like damaged goods. The 
the damaged goods thing is that kind of right that hits home because I think many of us have been there who are in this community. Uh, in terms of reviving that, is it just the intimacy? Is there uh, let's talk? Do you want to talk tools <laughs> to get there? I mean, the, the, I think there's a variety of different ways. I didn't think I'd be as uh, shy talking about this topic because I'm, <laughs> pretty, I'm pretty direct, uh, but. You know, it, it read in some of your work and in general, people, if you, right, if you don't have intimacy and you want to move toward that, it's, you have to practice it. And aside from communication, you have to write, try, first you don't succeed. Uh, right. Because what are the overall benefits to the, to the disease, I guess, like, right, pain control or... Right. So my favorite is the Rutgers study where they put ladies in a functional MRI machine. So, and the ladies who were, they were in there by themselves. Okay. So there was no partner in there with them. So the ladies who achieved an orgasm then had a 110% pain reduction, which lasted a period of 24 hours. So we know that if you can get to the part where you're having an orgasm, that your pain threshold will go up tremendously. It's, it's not not everybody's going to be able to have an orgasm, but just just the bonding, the physical holding hands that too releases positive endorphins as long as you like your partner. You know, that's the other thing is that I've had ladies come into my office and say, you know, I don't I don't have sex anymore. And then I <laughs> unpack further and they hate their spouse. And I'm like, well, you're probably not going to have much of a sex drive if you hate your partner. So, you know, there's a lot of things that that are involved with that. But I think just taking away the shame, like you said, my favorite thing is to stand up in front of a huge audience and give a lecture. And then there is a nun in the front row. And the nun comes up to me afterwards and says, thank you so much for teaching me where my G spot was. Nobody's ever done this before. You know, so, you know, like epiphany moments, like I'm like, oh, no, there's a nun and she's approaching me. Oh, gosh, this is going to be awkward. And and they're just everyone's just so grateful for the education, I think, is the, the, the thing, because so many people don't get that kind of education. My daughter's, you know, they taught abstinence in their very progressive high school. That was the method of birth control they taught. So. And I was too rogue to be the sex ed teacher. I tried, but they, <laughs> I was too liberal. They didn't, I was not, they were not going to let me do that. So, you know, it's just, it's about releasing the shame. Intimacy is how we all got here. Okay. We were right. all born because somebody had sex, right? And people are doing that all the time at all ages. And so it's just about getting that, getting over that hump. I love Europe. Europe is so much more open to this. Ireland, they have huge billboards where gay men are holding onto each other and, you know, talking about intimacy and arthritis. And that is so fabulous. Whereas in, in America, it's just such a like we don't talk about nudity and we don't talk about intimacy at all, which is really frightening. No. Yes. We could get down a whole nother rabbit hole whole here. Another, a whole nother thing. But you asked me about tools. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think you're right. We have to talk about it. So I'm, I'm glad you're here today. Yes. Yes. So tools can range from just education about where is your G spot? Where are you going to get pleasure from? And look, thank God for Netflix. I mean, there are so many Netflix shows now about sex, which is fabulous. You know, there's a Masters and Johnson one. There is one about how Gwyneth Paltrow is on one about how to achieve intimacy and orgasms. And just, you know, there's so much more access than when we were 20 years ago where it was reading a book in the library. Right. So now there is a lot more available to talk about things like that. But, you know, culturally, we just have not done a good job of educating our younger people about intimacy and the power of orgasm. Yeah. And one of the things we have talked about on many episodes is diet and the role of having a better outcome around uh, the disease in general. So does diet play into our ability to be intimate? Mm -hmm. well, yes. And do you think I have my list right now? I don't have my list on me, but there, there, there are many foods that you can do to help your sex life, like dark chocolate, things like that. Things that help with your libido 
for example. So that helps. But the most important thing with spondyloarthritis is eating an anti-inflammatory diet. So that's what I was thinking about when you asked me about the tools. The first mm-hmm. tool is getting your disease under control. And yes. so getting over that fear of taking medication and not being reliant on medication alone, because it's not going to get better if you just think the Humira is going to make it better. Okay, that the Humira alone is not ever going to get you intermission. It's just not a thing. It's not that great. I mean, it's a good drug, but it's not that great. None of our drugs are going to get you intermission alone. So it's really going to be the diet and the daily exercise and the meditation and having you know, some stress reduction techniques and then the medication. And I love the idea of acupuncture and I love the idea of whatever else you can do to help keep yourself in remission and taking 2000 milligrams of turmeric and, you know, doing all of the things to get your body to where it doesn't hurt 24 seven, because you're a lot more likely about to think about having intimacy if you're not hurting every day. Right. And you talk about in one of the things I listened to, you talk about uh, DHEA, the sex mm-hmm. hormone, being higher or lower in people with the disease or... So the DHEA is just a lab test that I check and you can Google it. It's got a name that's like a billion. You'd win a spelling bee if you could spell that. So DHEA is a lab test that your doctor can order and it 400 is normal for a teenage person and 35 is normal for an 85 year old person. Okay, those are the normals at my lab. But traditionally, when I see a patient on the first visit, I do the DHEA level because it's affected by stress, it's affected by diet, and it's also affected by medications like antidepressants and gabapentin and Lyrica and Norco and things like that. So I kind of want to know where we're starting from because if your DHEA is in the teens, which it is, I would say 75% of the time I'm showing people their DHEA level and I'm just aghast that they're even getting out of bed in the morning because DHEA is not only your estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, and your good cholesterol, it's your mojo, it's your vitality, it's your energy. If if we were in Chinese medicine, we'd be talking about it's your chi, right? So you have a huge chi deficiency. You're not having enough energy to even get out of bed in the morning, more or less have wow time. So you know, getting that fixed and the the fix to DHEA. So you can't find a provider to do it. Everybody just like, I don't know what that is. So you take two grams of fish oil daily and then your DHE goes up and you stop taking medications like gabapentin and Lyrica if you can stand it because those are lowering your DHEA and then eating as much omega-3 and 6 is possible in your diet. So salmon once a week, avocado every day, quinoa, you know, anything that you can do to boost your omegas in your diet will both help with lubrication, which is super important, and also help with your mojo. So you just convinced me to make sure mine's getting checked. <laughs> well, even if your provider won't check it, just start taking two grams of fish oil, really yeah. good quality fish oil, I actually and do. then ramp up that diet. And then sugar is the devil. Sugar is so inflammatory, and we are so addicted to sugar. And just getting that out of your diet is going to make a huge difference, too. Yeah. And you just gave us the, like the best reason for when your doctor says drink your fish oil every day, Mm -hmm. I keep the bottle and I chug it out of the bottle in the morning. (laughs) I have no qualms, but I was, I wasn't taking the pills, but okay. So I'm going to, because I think too, right. The DHEA, if your vitamin B or D is low, you're going to also feel like crap. So it, it may be one more thing. We'll just go to the old adage of what gets measured gets managed, right? Right. Exactly. Your baseline. Okay. Tell me about water and hydration. If you have thoughts, one of my biggest, I think it's one of the biggest secrets to having a positive outcome with the disease. Mm -hmm. It's again, I think the right word was hydration. Um, Very interesting. You're going to hear me talk about Chinese medicine because my husband and I just started taking classes in Chinese medicine. So Five years from now, we'll have a whole nother conversation about acupuncture and herbology. So 
but in in china people drink tea all day and they eat soup every day and in america we don't do that so it's really about hydration i love green tea because it's super anti-inflammatory it helps your metabolism it's good for you it's an antioxidant you know so again atherosclerosis can contribute to erectile dysfunction so let's just you know so green tea would be lovely water coconut water with no sugar added in it it's just really about making sure you're getting enough hydration because if you're not then you will not have lubrication at all zero and you know again there's you should be using a whole bunch of lubricant anyway and there's so many more lubricants than there ever were before it used to be ky jelly and that was it and now there's yeah. so many options which is fabulous including hyaluronic acid suppositories and you know everything that's natural and ph balanced and uh, so many options coconut oil i mean it's cheap so you can use anything you want to use but you're gonna have to use lubricant especially if you haven't been intimate in a while yeah and and there are for people who are sensitive there are right there's uh so good non-silicone based there's mm -hmm. water based uh and in terms of that uh you talk also sometimes about as you're choosing a lubricant the uh you know if you've got cracked skin you may not want to pick certain things so talk right. a little bit about maybe the like the the bombs that you might hit if you pick the wrong lubricant right so um there are things that have cinnamon in them god forbid because that is very um, caustic to your vaginal area. It's it's okay to ingest cinnamon, but you don't want to put it down there. You know, there, there are things that have mentholatum in them, which is KY, his and hers, that because some ladies do need that extra tingle, but if you have any, you know, friable skin because you haven't been intimate in a while, that's going to sting and you're going to be standing in the shower going, ha, 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 you know, it's, that's not, that's kind of a mood wrecker. So I would stick to what is natural and what is available first. I love the Puromance because it's, you know, it's a water-based lubricant and it's, pH balanced and everything like that. But there are so many, there's goody, there's just, you know, like I said, there's so many that have hyaluronic acid in them now. You can really get a lot. And then coconut oil, I know a lot of ladies that just use coconut oil. And for lubricant. I suppose on the topic of lubricant, so if you are, because I imagine right, primary symptoms, one of them is dryness mm -hmm. and especially as women age. Do you recommend that, uh, just like you take your fish oil every day, if you're having dryness, do you use lubricant, even not when you're being intimate? That's why I love the hyaluronic acid suppositories because you can put those in two or three days a week. You can buy them off of Amazon. You just Google hyaluronic acid. It starts with an R. I'm having a brain fog day. But it's there are multiple hyaluronic acid suppositories that you can get even on Amazon. And you can put those in every other day so that you can you know keep that lubrication going so that if the mood strikes that you're going to be prepared right now and and i think even with the omega-3s and outside of intimacy i think of like hydration as like what we're putting in and then we mm -hmm. have to like i'm i eat my omega-3s and then we put a lot of lotion on so it's no different right. it's just kind of lubricating yeah. uh, along the way so exactly and we have to be thankful for Amazon, or I think a lot of people have to be thankful for Amazon because then you don't have to step into a store and have a conversation. But yep. who, who would you talk to if you said, I wanna look at like, are toys, are lubricants the right thing for me? Where would one go? <laughs> that, is a, that is a huge problem. Because like in my area, I send a lot of ladies to the pelvic floor physical therapist. I think that's a really good start because there is no shame there. They are going to stick their fingers in your vagina and help you to dilate. They're going to help you with pelvic floor manipulation. They're going to help you with pelvic floor pain. So those ladies are a really good resource in your community. And I literally have Googled for patients who live, you know, two, my, two hours away, pelvic floor physical therapist, you know, in X city, and they will pop up because there are not a lot of them, but there are usually 
ones in every major city. So the public floor physical therapists are a great idea. I think the gynecologists are better now at having the conversation than they used to be. There are sex therapists, and now we all have internet, most people do. So there are sex therapists that you can have that conversation with. There's intimacy coaches. So there are more options than there ever, oops, than there ever were before, thank goodness. So it's it's not a taboo thing. It's just about finding the resources in your area. And we've talked a lot about women. I. So for men, one of the most interesting things I learned was like kind of an aha moment. You talked about uh, men who might have erectile dysfunction, but that it's, I'm getting embarrassed, but it's like, it's not their penis that isn't working. It's their spinal nerves. nerve issues in their spine mm-hmm. that are causing that. And, you know, how can they offset or, or like overcome, or maybe that's not the right word. How do they address that? And, and it, for men, it's a lot more face. Like I think women are, in my experience, women tend to be more about the hugging and the kissing and that that intimate kind of part. They, I know a lot of women who can't handle the penetration and they're okay with that. You know, as long as there is affection, they are okay and they're okay with oral sex instead of penetrative sex, if that is okay. For men, I think there's a lot more self-esteem attached to inability to have an erection. So that is devastating. I think I've talked to so many men that say, well, I can't get an erection anymore, so I'm not going to date anymore. I'm not going to touch my wife anymore. I'm not going to touch my partner anymore because I can't get an erection. I'm like, what? Yeah, nobody misses that part. I have a, a closing spondylitis patient in my office last week, and he told me that he said he's 50, he's my age, he's 54, I think 53, 54. And he said, well, I, 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 my date doesn't work, so I'm not going to date anymore. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You have so much more to offer. You're a nice guy. You can fix things. You're sweet. You have money. You can take women out. You can be kind to them. They're, yeah, you know, I don't think it's about your, your dick. No, it's not. I uh, okay. So dating. Let's talk about this. And I'm going to throw myself under the bus, right? I'm a single girl with ankylosing spondylitis. I uh, and when for me personally, I tend to talk about the diagnosis up front, uh, like by date two. I know not everyone's comfortable, but at this point, you can Google me and find out that I'm all over the internet talking about spondylitis. <laughs> so. I have, I have no secrets, uh, but when, when would people want to talk about this, particularly if maybe they do have an issue or do you have any advice there? I have lots of advice there. I think that everybody has something. I think that, you know, you know, you're not wearing a sign that says I have herpes on your forehead. I think every single person has something. So to think that you're going to meet somebody without a chronic illness is kind of not a thing anymore based on our, you know, our sad American diet, pollution, autoimmune nightmare that's happening in the world. Most people have something and if they don't have it, their mother had it or their sister has it because so many people have autoimmune disease and people who have autoimmune disease tend to have multiple autoimmune diseases. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that you have to be tragically embarrassed that you have something because most people have something or know somebody that has something. And because now it is, we're not 20 years ago. So we actually have medications that can really help to get people closer to remission that it's, you know, not doom and gloom. If you're not telling someone I'm going to be in a wheelchair and you're going to have to take care of me and I'm probably going to be on disability anymore. You know, most of the patients that I take care of are between 26 and 35 and they are, they look like you, you know, they're, they're, otherwise healthy, they just have arthritis, pain, and flare-ups. So, you know, I think it's it's a whole different ball of wax now than it was 25 years ago when people were on walkers and wheelchairs and on oxygen and just thought it was a bad, bad time. So we're very right. blessed that we have multiple avenues of medication and alternative therapies if you're not going to do the medication route at least you're doing something so i think that's that it there should not be shame or guilt 
involved in seeking out intimacy with another person because most people have something. And I, you know, I think second date, third date is appropriate. You know, hey, I just wanted to have a conversation with you. I've been dealing with this for a while. Pretty much got it under control. If you have, if you have more questions, or you want to come with me to my doctor's appointment, or you feel comfortable coming with me, and you, that that would be great. So, yeah, and I'm a transparency person on that stuff. So. Oh, absolutely, I'd rather them go away in the beginning than find out yeah. later and go away. Right? Because same thing. I mean, I'm the same at, in, professionally about it now. So, I. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, so I want to circle back because I think this is probably one of the really important things, particularly when you have a, a disease that's characterized by SI joint issues and uh, lower back. When you talk about women, there is a power in the word kegel. <laughs> mm-hmm. So do you recommend that for all the women in your practice? All the women and all the men. They started teaching men Kegel exercises before prostate surgery to hope that they had some recovery after surgery. And and if if you've read my book, there's a very revealing story about my husband. My husband had prostate surgery for enlarged prostate. And afterwards, it didn't go well. His surgical outcome was not what we expected. It wasn't what we had planned, you know, we're only five years into the marriage and he's wearing a diaper and he's bleeding and he's passing clots and he's catheterizing himself, you know, six, eight times a day. And it was a freaking nightmare. And so he, of course, is just, just beside himself and he's not healing after the surgery. And so finally I said to him, we got to get some blood flow down there, babe. We got to get blood flow down there. I'm sorry. He's like, I don't want to be touched. I'm wearing a diaper. I'm bleeding. I'm like, "Mm, don't really care. So let's just try this experiment. I'm going to give you a hand job every other day for 10 days straight. And let's see if we can get some, some blood flow down there. Changed his diet, hand jobs. He is fine now. You know, he doesn't need Cialis anymore. The whole thing. But nobody, his doctor didn't talk to him about that. You know, his doctor didn't talk to him about blood flow and healing and changing your diet, making sure you're eating an anti-inflammatory diet. His doctor was like, oh, shit, that didn't work out as well as we had hoped, you know. But if, if you need a blood flow in your foot, you get a foot massage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sure would. Isn't it crazy? Yeah, um, I know. And, you know, acupuncture. I mean, there's so many things that you can do to increase circulation, especially in women's vulva, women's vaginas. You need circulation down there if you're having any hope of having an orgasm. So if you're yeah. not practicing or having like 30 minutes of foreplay, it is not going to happen. So there has to be a great deal of massage down there to get and, the hope of blood flow going down there. Okay. And so let me ask this question. Uh I'm going to create a scenario. So I'm a woman who is having trouble with intimacy or a man. I still feeling like I'm lacking sexual desire. My partner doesn't like me. Would it be normal and protocol or maybe like I'm having pain during sex? I don't know why. Would it, would you recommend that to a patient that, okay, well, if you're not feeling with your partner, it is part of your overall health to find intimacy and touch. And mm-hmm. do you recommend like leading up to that with a lot of self-massage? Right. Well, and I, I have ladies that come in and they're, they tell me they're virgins and it's, that's frightening because they're 45 and then they have a new partner and I'm like, Woo, please do not have sex with them first. So, you know, because the, if you're not using a dilator, you're, it's going to be really painful. So yeah, self, you first have to figure out what it takes to orgasm. You know, if you don't know what makes you orgasm or what turns you on, then how are you going to explain that or guide somebody else to do that? So, you know, I think self-pleasure is very important. And thank God people made shower heads that come down and you could direct the water to the blood flow to so have an orgasm. Or you can buy toys on Amazon. I mean, there are or you have fingers. You know, I had a patient who was a quadriplegic and 
he always wanted the same nurse to come and give him his neck and shoulder massage every night. <laughs> He's only getting off on that because the only feeling he had was nipples up. And so he wanted the same nurse every night. And so they're like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's getting off. So, which is fine. Totally. As long as everybody knows what's going on, that's totally fine. But we can't forget that people with quadriplegia are still having sex. I mean, you know, Superman had babies after he became a quadriplegic. So everybody's still having sex. So have you done any tracking of uh, where people began in terms of intimacy or a, a marker like DAGA and over time when they are having more intimacy and does the disease, does like the disease severity go down? Oh, I, I think definitely. So I have not done that personal research study. I can't see that research. <laughs> I'm, I'm certain that it does, but I think more than anything, it's the normalcy. So, so Jackie's my friend from California. She's a nurse practitioner out there. And she's always reminding me about normalcy. That that's what people want to get back to when they're diagnosed with a chronic disease. Everybody just wants things to go back to normal and normal is sex for some people, you know, not, not for everybody, but intimacy is normal for a lot of people or that has been a normalcy for them. So it's just about getting back to that state of, you know, this is, we were twice a weeker on the sex and making sure that you have time to have sex and that you are rested enough to have sex, which is big in these relationships. I mean, that's the other thing is if you're the only person who's taking out the garbage and the recycling and making the kids lunches and doing all the laundry and doing all the cooking and your work on full time, it is not going to happen. So the best right. thing a partner can do is unload the dishwasher. I mean, that is the sexiest thing my husband ever does is unload the dishwasher. And it's, as I always say, it's never just about the dishwasher. That's where communication comes in. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, I like that one for you. Uh, okay, so the you have a list of tools you call sheets. Mm -hmm. Should we just review those before we do you have that in front of you? I do. do you want me to read it? Yes, please read them okay. because I do not have my book right in front of me. That's okay. Sense of humor, I know, is very important in tools and education, but I can't remember all of them. Yeah, so the tools are called the sheets, and they consist of uh, S for self-confidence and sense of self, hugely mm -hmm. important. Humor, we need that, and we'll come back to that. Uh, enthusiasm, drive, and desire. Education, tools, and the support system. Spirit, and some patience. Patience mm -hmm. is going to be a big one. Humor. I think we have to learn to laugh at ourselves too. Right. Somebody's going to fart. Somebody's going to fall off the bed. Something's not going to work. Right. And so things happen. So, you know, you, you have, if, if you go into the stars, there's all this pressure, then that's not going to be good. You know, we're doing this to have fun. This is adult playground time. Okay. Kids get to go play on the playground. Adults get to have playground time in the bedroom. So, you know, this is this is playtime. It's not supposed to be stressful. And you almost get like the double whammy because, right, like orgasm and laughter are mm -hmm. two of the things that like are the best part for our basic body right. systems. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you can do both at the same time, I, I, I bet you highly encourage that. Right, exactly. um, okay, so I'm trying to think what else do we need to cover because this I know I took this in the weeds a lot, but this is no, I think okay. a topic that people don't want to address, but it's everyone is curious, right? What do I do if I'm not feeling great? Um, what we didn't cover was the, you know, Viagra, Cialis medications for men, you know, the medications that help to increase blood flow to the penis. So that is important in that, you know, again, for men with ankylosing spondylitis, it is a spinal issue. So blood flow can help if they're not getting erect enough to have penetration if that's what they desire. But the problem is that I find that, you know, the good old boys network, they kind of jab each other, show I'll write you a prescription for Viagra, but nobody's doing any education about how to use them. So Viagra doesn't work the first time you take it and nobody tells anybody that. And so a lot of times I have met men who 
threw the rest of them in the toilet and flushed it because it didn't work the first time. It's called a first pass effect. Your body sees a medication for the first time and it goes, hmm, don't know what that is. I'm just going to pee that off. So the first time you take it, it doesn't work. It doesn't really work very well on a full stomach. So if you drink alcohol and have a full meal and then you think your Viagra is going to work, it's not. It's what much better to take that on an empty stomach before you have a full meal so you have the sex before the date. Okay, if possible, yay. <laughs> so, you know, just about things like that. And then I've also had people that tell me, oh, those, those pills don't work for me. And I'm like, were you sitting there watching? I mean, because if you're waiting for it to become erect, it's not going to. You have to have stimulation. And people are thinking like this big boner is just going to pop right up. And it's not a thing. Like it has to still have blood flow and circulation in order for the medication to have any chance of working. So I think there's a huge education piece there. I think women are still sad because there's not a Viagra for us. You know, they did Addy, but mm, um, mm, <laughs> too many side effects, not enough bonus out of that medication for my personal recommendation. I think for women, it's a lot more, um, you know, getting to the place where you're relaxed and you feel confident about your body and you feel like, you know, you trust the person that you're having intimacy with. And then you're used to having blood flow to your vulva and your clitoris. And, you know, all of that is much more important than having a Viagra type medication. And now there are tools that actually provide suction. So you can get a vibrator that actually will provide suction to your clitoris, which will then help it engorge with blood, helping you maybe get I work as a faster. Those are all great advice. And you talk a little bit about the, the box, right? Putting your, is it the box? Nothing box. The nothing box. That's yes. the problem. Yes, because women think we're really good at multitasking. And I've told my husband that a billion times. I'm like, I'm so good at multitasking. And he says, honey, you have really bad ADD. You are not good at multitasking at all. You're doing 15 things, but you're not doing any of them. Great. Stop doing that. So, you know, if we tend to be in this, like I'm unloading the dishwasher, I'm getting the groceries, you know, I'm thinking about what I'm making for the kids meal for the next day. You know, I'm thinking about this lecture. I mean, you know, they're if you're laying in bed and you're thinking, oh, God, the kids are going to come home in 15 minutes from soccer practice, you're probably not going to have an orgasm with your partner. You know, you have to have time. You have to have the recycling out on the curb already so you're not fixating on, oh, I'm going to forget to put the recycling out on the curb. You know, you've got to just be in the mindset of, oh, I love the way my partner smells and I love the way my partner feels. And I, you know, we have time to relax and I'm not exhausted and let's do this. You know, it's it's. You have to be in the nothing box because if we're thinking about tomorrow and next Tuesday and other things, then it's never going to happen. You're never going to get to orgasm. Yeah. And at the risk of uh, making my mother finally hear that I actually do have sex <laughs> for the first time in my life, uh, the nut, like I agree, the nothing box is where the magic happens for women. Mm -hmm. This one. Uh, I think it's just, we do, and I do the same thing. We go and go and go. And sometimes breathing or mindfulness, right? Being present in the moment. Mm -hmm. It's that is also there's some work to be done there from for many of us. So mm -hmm. uh okay, so the one thing as we wrap up, because I know we've gone long, and uh number one, I think what is your best piece of advice for someone? one-liner what's the best piece of advice about getting things going again i think that you need to have a conversation with your partner while you're fully clothed i think that is the most important thing so you are in a space where nobody is holding technology and nobody's in front of the television set and there are not children around so you maybe you're on a date you know, that's a really good thing. You're in a restaurant, nobody has technology, there are no distractions, and you say, I miss you. I miss it when we used to. I love the way you look, smell, feel. You know, I want to get back to that level of intimacy, but I am scared. Can you help me? Can you help me get back to where we used to be when we had passionate sex when we first met? I want to get back to that, but I'm scared and you're scared. And so, how can we do that? 
that last question should almost be at the front end and then we're going to take everybody through it, right? Sorry. Chauncey, if you can rearrange, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, but uh, okay, so on that note, I am going to I'm going to tell you how grateful I am cuz I I I would love to see your second book, which I think should be a compilation of stories <laughs> from from people who have worked through this, right? Because we mm -hmm. want to provide hope more than anything and mm -hmm. hope tends to be a, its own medication. Right. Um, See, that's your book, Jill. You're you're the one who lives with this every day. So that's your book. Your book is about how, you know, you can have a diagnosis of a chronic illness and still make this happen. Four times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was kind of a a pun, but uh, <laughs> uh, okay, super. So Iris, this has been fascinating. And next time I, I'm headed up to Michigan State, I'm going to come and visit you. I uh, wish you would come see the clinic. It's an amazing place. We started I, with three employees and now we have 16. I will be there the second week in September for two okay. days. So All right. I'm gonna coming in. pop it on my calendar. And we're going to, we're going to have a conversation uh, and I'm going to get my DHA, DHEA done before then. Uh, but thank you. Like I, I have to say, this has been probably one of the funnest. Oh, Chauncey says part two we can do in September. Okay, uh, perfect. <laughs> uh, we are so grateful for people like you in the community that you offer these. You offer not only hope, but like real practical ways to get your life back. Mm -hmm. And. Thank you for the, the commitment and all the work you do. Uh, I'm grateful for you and just this time with you. Thank you. So if if your people have more questions, Sex Interrupted, you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it when you come to my office. I'll autograph it for you. But I think that that is a good place to start. The yes. only criticism that I've gotten for my book, which was from Mariah, who's who also runs um, This Point Forward, which is her web site about getting pregnant with autoimmune disease was that my book talks about doing other things instead of penetration and she said i really gotta have penetration in order to get pregnant i said okay oh, yeah. so we did a whole podcast together it's on one of my youtubes but you know it's it's so there there needs to be a second edition but yes so sex interrupted has all kinds of advice about about how to live with chronic disease and still maintain intimacy Awesome. And are you on social media? Where can we find you or on YouTube? I do have a YouTube channel, but I, my daughter recorded six YouTubes and then we kind of COVID happened. And yeah. that's the problem. The book got published in December of 2020. So it kind of just laid there <laughs> having a pandemic around it. So there was never <laughs> a book tour or anything because it happened at that time. But and, you know, I am certainly moving out of my career, trying to get my patients another avenue of of treatment with acupuncture and Chinese herbs and finding out what, what more I can do for people. So I have really been focusing on what is next for my career and what, how, how I can help patients in a different way. All right. Awesome. We're going to, we're going to do, do a part two for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Uh, SpondyCast was made possible by donations from the Spondylitis Association of America's individual members and our show's corporate sponsor, AbbVie. Since our founding in 1983, the Spondylitis Association of America has been the face, voice, and leading nationwide nonprofit, educating, empowering, and advocating for people living with spondyloarthritis. Through our extensive work with patients, the medical community, and partners, we provide information and resources to help people impacted by the disease live better lives and champion research to find a cure.